We had our uh, holiday uh, brunch today at the radio station for the staff, and um, it was good. The the food was from Magnolia Pancake House. Um, it was good, but there was there was there were no KTSA people there except me. I, I felt like I maybe maybe I wasn't supposed to be there either. I don't know. Very strange. I've never seen that before. I'm and 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 people at the station are going to laugh at this because I'm usually the guy that doesn't come to things. So it's very odd for me to be the guy who's there. No one else there. I don't know. Just thought I'd point that out. I didn't win any of the door prizes, so I got to do the show today. If I'd won one of those prizes, you'd have seen the last of me. But welcome to our dreadful little show, and join it anytime you feel like at 210-599-5555. You don't have to, but you are welcome to. This business that I'm in, this radio business, is a very easy business to be fired from. You probably have noticed that, right? I mean, like radio people come and go and revolving door and here today, gone tomorrow. And it, there's so many ways and you can get fired, so many reasons for which you can get fired. I'm probably doing at least two or three of them right now. And uh, and that's just, you know, that's the trade-off. I love what I do, but it, there's always that risk. I guess the opposite would be if you were the president of Harvard University. You cannot get fired from that job. That is, that is take it to the bank. Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University, is keeping her job. She has held on after giving that ghoulish, soulless, anti-Semitic performance before Congress last week with the other two Ivy League presidents, one of whom is already toast. You know, the one we played the audio from where President Gay would not answer or could not answer just the basic sort of decency question. After her testimony, she put out an apology on X that read in part, I am sorry, words matter. I got caught up in what had become at that point an extended combative exchange about policies and procedures. I failed to convey what is my truth. It makes me sad. <laughs> I don't think saying you're sad is part of an apology. Nobody, when you're apologizing, you're not, we're not supposed to care about how you feel. You're supposed to care about how we feel. But also the my truth part. Does that just, is it just me or does that grate on your ear nubs? When people talk about my truth, I need to speak my truth. It's very big on TikTok, that expression. Uh, my truth. There's just truth. There's no my truth, your truth. Nobody owns truth. So the Penn president resigned, and the Harvard president hung on. And that's not the only thing she's got going against her. Christopher Rufo, who we've had on the show and we've talked about many times, he's been doing some investigative reporting into Claudine Gay's writings, which there aren't very many of. For the president of a major Ivy League university, she's had a grand total of 11 papers published in her entire career, but they looked at just one. Her doctoral thesis found numerous examples of plagiarism, flagrant violations of Harvard's own Ethics code. I mean, ju just as with every other university, they spell it out. What constitutes plagiarism versus what constitutes original work and being intellectually honest. 
and um, they found whole paragraphs that are word for word the same as other people's writing. And in the most recent year for which we have records at Harvard, 2021, 27 undergraduate students were booted for honor code violations. They have an honor council at Harvard. They heard 138 cases of academic integrity during the 2020-2021 school year. And 99 of the 138 cases resulted in basically a guilty verdict. That's not what they call it. And um, as a result, uh, 27 students had to go. But Claudine Gay is going to stay. The most common examples of honor violations are plagiarism and exam cheating. This was interesting, too. She was up there saying they have free speech at Harvard. Harvard just canceled an event at which two liberal Democratic congressmen were going to speak. And it's an interesting little vignette. There's a group called the John Adams Society, which is made up of basically centrist students. It's as far right as you're going to get at Harvard, right? So they're just centrist you know, middle of the road, not liberal uh, students. And they they invited two members of Congress uh, to speak and to talk about uh, the Middle East. Um, Both of them are liberal Democrats, Ro Khanna from California and Jake Achenklaas from Massachusetts. And they went through the whole, it took a month to set this up. They had to get a room, they had to, complete the paperwork, they had to get all the approvals, all the signatures, security, everything was set. The two members of Congress staff had communicated with Harvard staff. Everybody's good to go. And then two days before the event, Harvard cancels the event. And it turns out that Auchincloss had criticized Harvard for not having free speech. So... Claudine Gay gave her testimony on December 5th, a week week ago today. And on December 7th, the congressman said that uh, he kind of mocked Harvard's commitment to free speech. He said when it comes to denouncing anti-Semitism, suddenly the university has anxieties about the First Amendment. It rings hollow. That day, after he made those remarks, they canceled the event. So she got to keep her job for what she said and did not say, but there's no free speech because an event that probably would have broadened everyone's horizons a little bit, hearing two sitting members of Congress discuss, debate, engage with students, that's the kind of thing you go to universities for, that couldn't be allowed because he had spoken against Harvard's commitment to free speech, which obviously by canceling the event, Harvard has told us how little committed they are. Uh, lightly committed they are to free speech. The president of Israel talked to Douglas Murray of the New York Post. He said, don't these university presidents understand what's happening in the world? They were getting his reaction, Isaac Herzog is the president of Israel. Wasn't 9-11 supposed to be a wake-up call, he said. How can the progressive left in America be so indifferent? And doesn't it understand that after 9-11, this is the threat? It has nothing to do with settlements, borders, or questions like the two-state solution. It has to do with a big ideology 
And he goes on to say, um, October 7th was a heinous atrocity which the world hasn't seen for a long, long time. Where are the people that used to say silence is violence? Where are the people that used to say they spoke up for women and they raised their voice for women? This was interesting. Um, professor uh, at the University of Michigan has come out and said that expecting black students to write standard English is racist. April Baker Bell, who is African American, says traditional approaches to language education do not account for the emotional harm or consequences these approaches have on black students. Black language is devalued in classrooms, Baker Bell said. It reflects how black lives are devalued in the world. What is black language? Is English white language? Requiring black students to use standard English is anti-black linguistic racism, said Baker Bell. A linguistics justice course is what she proposes that would allow those taking it to be better alerted to, quote, white linguistic hegemony and anti-black linguistic racism. Or we could just all use English. Might be, might be, might be easier. These are not people that want us to understand each other. These are people that want to make damn sure we don't understand each other, right? I mean, that's that's what it sounds like to me. Standard English is a myth, Baker Bell said. And it's used to justify linguistic discrimination on the basis of race. There was also a professor somewhere else, I'll, I'll find the article, who was saying that uh, plagiarism is a white construct, uh, that you shouldn't hold that against black and Latinx students. There was a great piece uh, Christopher Roach wrote at American Greatness called What Are Universities For? Really, It really kind of hit home with me because I, I remember going to college and coming from a family where no one had, and the, the, the pride... I, my parents were way more excited about me going than I was. This was their greatest aspiration. They'd, they'd saved and they'd sacrificed and they were proud and they told everybody and they... You don't even, you can't even imagine unless you've come from that kind of a situation. If you've come from a family where every generation goes to A&M or every generation goes to Austin, you don't, it's, it's a big deal when it's the first generation. And he wrote this piece about what universities are for. He says, we've, we've debated forever about whether universities should train people to be managers, like in the field of business or government, or whether universities should cultivate the arts, the sciences, abstract pursuit of truth, life of the mind. And he made an interesting observation about how, at one time, universities were very selective, like very few people went to college, and so universities could pick people who were most likely to benefit from and, you know, uh, succeed in the format. And it didn't matter if the average American didn't go to college, but a university education commanded a certain amount of respect. And he says two things have changed. The first is that University enrollment expanded massively after World War II and again during the Vietnam draft deferments. 
So, and, and probably you could also add when student loans exploded. So as the, the universe of available college students kept going up, universities themselves changed. They had to. They were now absorbing people of less intellectual ability. They were becoming more like businesses, he writes. And the second change was the cultural revolution, the leftist revolution that began in the 60s and that began putting the pursuit of political goals under the guise of scholarship. So we're pretending we're teaching law, but really we're teaching uh, disdain for the Constitution or something like that. He writes, to have a civilization, we must know how to think. We must know what is worth studying. And from this, we can discern the true, the good, and the beautiful. We once had some consensus on these things. We knew that Shakespeare and Michelangelo's David and Melville and Plato and the Iliad were different from, say, reading a comic book. And he says, today, universities are proud to, to smash those barriers and those distinctions. And, and now you can take a class in Plato, but you can also take a class in comic books. Without standards, Roach writes, we end up confusing subjective passion and intensity with objective quality and wisdom. And I thought when I read that about the people you see out in these pro-Palestinian protests who wouldn't be able to find Palestine on a map, they chant from the river to the sea, not knowing what river or what sea. And this sort of maniacal anti-Israeli hatred also seems very, to me, very assembly line. Like you've, you've produced an awful lot of people all of a sudden. I don't think that just happened. I don't think anybody thinks that just happened. Roach writes, young people should be trying ideas on for size, including radical ones they may later abandon, but the left's tactics of intimidation, hateful rhetoric, and self-appointment as commissars for political correctness are an obstacle for the learning and growth of everyone else on campus, as well as the leftists themselves. So he's, he's asking a good question, and we should have really, this should have really been the question during the debate about student loan forgiveness. What is college for? What do we expect it to be? What do we want it to be? Because, you know, believe it or not, it's really up to society to determine how we shape our culture. And we've entrusted the universities, you know, traditionally, we thought they are the right people to keep track of that. But I don't think if you ask most people today, they would say that what kids are learning in, in school or what is being said on these campuses or by these professors, let alone these presidents, I, I don't think most people today would look at that and say, well, yeah, that's that sounds like our traditional values and that sounds like the direction we want to go in as a country. So who is cultivating... Our culture, because it's, it's not the people we thought it was or we used to trust with that, right? Deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Tis the season to be jolly, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Done we now our gay apparel, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. I don't know about you, but I have my gay apparel on right now. You can join the show, 210-599-5555. I want to ask you, um, if you buy the, the linkage between 
these three things. So today's big story is the Ukrainian president Zelensky's in Washington. He's with Biden. They're they're doing their news conference. Um, there is the issue of sending more aid to Ukraine. There is the issue of um, sending uh, aid to Israel to fight Hamas. And there is the issue of the southern border, more funding for the southern border of the United States. And the Republicans say, well, we'll we're, we're going to do the, the foreign aid if you'll do the, the border. And team Democrats are saying, no, those are all separate things. Can't link them. Um, who's who? Who do you agree with here? To to me, um, I I have become very jaded about the aid to Ukraine. I looked it up, and we have given as much to Ukraine in the last two years as about sixty percent, or what we've given to them in the last two years is about sixty percent of what we have given Israel in the last 75 years. So 60% of what we gave Israel over the whole history of Israel, we've given to Ukraine in the last two years. You can look that up if you don't believe me. It's from the Council on Foreign Relations. It's government numbers. It's basically, they added up all the bills, all the foreign aid bills and emergency aid packages that have been done. This is as of last year. Does that sound right to you, that Ukraine has gobbled up that much money? Um, basically, another way of talking about it is, in the year 2022, Ukraine got 25 times the amount of aid Israel got. Traditionally, Israel is one of our top recipients of U.S. aid. Uh, by the way... Uh, Almost as big as the aid package to Israel every year is the aid package to Jordan. You never hear anyone talk about Jordan. It's a very small country. They get a lot of money from us. And, of course, Afghanistan's up there. But um, Ukraine, 25 times the aid. Or to put it even another way, aid to Ukraine in 2022 was the most we've ever given one country in one year by a factor of two. Adjusting, obviously, for inflation. So, I don't even know, are, are, are they winning, or are they going to win? Are we really paying for their war, which if you just were paying to beat the evil Russians would be one conversation, but when you find out that we are paying about a third of their national budget, we are funding their bureaucracy. We are paying to operate the country a third of their national budget, including like bureaucrat uh, salaries and pensions and retire, you know, the whole thing, firefighters, everything. Does that make sense to you? That sounds like a country that wouldn't exist or couldn't stand on its own feet without us. What, what does that mean? It, it doesn't sound temporary. It sounds like they, 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 they wouldn't exist without us. 
And I'm also a little puzzled by the people that are so urgent about helping Ukraine, because, again, I'm no fan, friend of or defender of Putin, but these were all people that were very blasé and dismissive and kind of mocking when you would talk about the Russian threat and the dangers of Putin. Before he invaded Ukraine, they didn't seem to have any use for that. This whole thing feels like a giant grift where the money, quote-unquote, going over there, I think may be going a lot of places. Why do I get the feeling that it isn't really guns and tanks, that it's yachts and vacation homes? What do you think? And yes, I would say you if you want to talk about this as, as vital to the security of the United States, then show that same level of commitment and seriousness about the southern border of the United States. Do you agree with that, sort of connecting those, or do you think that's like political trickery when when people say oh well they're just that's just a good sound bite or they're just being populists like what do you think about that all the lights are coming on Always, always, always get calls about this one when we play it. It's the Ravenettes, a band called the Ravenettes. It's called the Christmas Song. Uh, jump in here and vote in the JR poll question. Uh, we're talking uh, about the university question, and uh, Christopher Roach uh, at American Greatness wrote this terrific piece called What Are Universities For? Um, I know a lot of people who listen to our show have sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters in college. Uh, you, you may even be taking college courses, maybe uh, on the side or online. Um, it's a good question. It's a question that needs to be asked these days, I think. Um, here are a couple more questions. Uh, we, we talked yesterday about the uh, Supreme Court ruling on former President Donald Trump's uh, immunity and we wanted to bring that up with our next guest. He is a professor of law at St. Mary's University School of Law. Uh, Bill Pyatt on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Professor, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and thank you for having me, Jack. So the special counsel wants the Supreme Court to do an expedited ruling on whether Trump is immune uh, by virtue, I guess, of having been president. Can you kind of walk us through what the claim is and what it would do to the cases against him if the Supreme Court ruled in favor of that immunity? Yes. So Donald Trump's defense, in part, is that he says, I was president of the United States. The actions that I took were pursuant to my constitutional duties, and as such, I am immune from criminal prosecution for that. Now, how can he raise it? He's going to raise it at trial if it goes to trial, but to try to knock the case out before it even goes to trial, he filed a motion to dismiss, claiming immunity. The district court judge ruled against him and said, no, there's no immunity, nobody's above the law, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of Donald Trump then taking the appeal to the district court of, uh, circuit court of appeals, 
the prosecutor took the unusual step of jumping ahead of the Court of Appeals and asking the Supreme Court of the United States to determine whether or not Donald Trump can claim immunity. And the reason the prosecutor is doing this is there is a trial date set for March 4th, of 2024. The prosecutor knows that if it goes to the District of Columbia Circuit Court of Appeals and then there's a decision and then that's appealed to the Supreme Court, it's going to push this down the line another year or two years. In the meantime, the election would have occurred. Uh, all the evidence that Smith wants to throw out at the president, the former president before the election would still remain hidden. So the Supreme Court of the United States is being asked to take up an unusually early appeal. Um, and if it decides, first of all, there's no clear indication they will do it. They've set a briefing schedule. They've given the president, former president until December 20th to respond. The Supreme Court has to decide whether or not it's even going to take up this issue. Then, if they do decide to take up the issue, they'll set a briefing schedule. And ordinarily, these things take months or maybe even a year. So the question would be, well, will the Supreme Court then try to expedite mm. it so that it's mm. decided ahead of March 4th or as soon as possible thereafter? On this immunity claim, okay, so the district court says nobody's above the law, there's no immunity, blah, blah, blah. But in the law, it's important to remember there are a number of instances of immunity. Uh, for example, diplomats and their families in the United States are immune from prosecution, from criminal prosecution. In the United States, judges, our judges are immune from civil liability. If a judge rules against you in a divorce case, you can't sue the judge for monetary mm -hmm. damages. So we have these immunities built in. The question is whether or not Donald Trump is immune because his actions took place while he was seated president of the United States. It's an open question. There's no easy answer to that. Mm. Um, if I had What would to happen to these cases if they ruled that he had that immunity? W would that be the end of these cases? That's the end of the federal prosecution. That's it. They're done. So I'm uh, thinking, just as a non-lawyer, that Jack Smith must know he's going to get an answer he likes. Why would he ask a question if he was afraid that the answer would kill his entire project. I think he probably thinks, and I think probably even the Trump lawyers in their heart of hearts think that there's not going to be this broad absolute immunity. I think the mm -hmm. Trump lawyers are doing what they should be doing. They're playing pinball. They're trying to keep the ball in play past the election. Smith's doing what he should be doing. He's trying to penetrate through that and get a ruling in advance, knowing that if Trump is held to be immune, that's the end of the prosecution. But I yeah. think it's unlikely... I think it's unlikely that the courts are going to grant that broad immunity. Looking here at a CBS News story, Professor, federal investigators have gained access to White House cell phone records, including a cell phone used by former President Trump while he was president, and could use that information as evidence in the special counsel's 2020 election-related trial. I, I'm just trying to figure out how really... Uh, extreme and maybe dangerous it would be if the cell phone used by uh, a now former president, any of them, uh, could be, uh, you know, opened up publicly, uh, its contents revealed publicly. I mean, in the history of the presidency, there was never anything like the amount of things, transactions, communications, data, uh, privileged conversations, right? Private conversations that would happen over a, a smartphone. 
This isn't like a, a notepad or a diary that a presidents used to keep. Uh, how, how can this even be at issue? Well, you're right. Okay, so there is a little bit of precedent. Going back to 1974, where the Supreme Court of the United States forced then-President Nixon to turn over tapes, okay? Obviously, a lot less information and data on the tapes than on the, the cell phone. I happened to sit in the Supreme Court of the United States in 1974. I was working as a uh, clerk for the General Services Administration in between my second and third year of law school. I heard the Supreme Court tell the President of the United States he had to turn over those tapes. So it's not unprecedented, but you're right. The volume of data now and the possibility of revealing national security matters, it just it it, it would require a lot of uh, screening uh, motions to, to withhold some of that. I think the reason that the prosecution is throwing it out there is it's part of this ongoing attempt to try to convince everybody that the former president is guilty of something. And then now there's this cell phone and. Who knows what's out there? One of the reasons that you impose gag orders is because you don't want cases tried in public. This smacks a little bit. They, the prosecution does have to identify its expert witnesses. It smacks a little bit of wanting to get out to the public to say, hey, wait till you see what's on that phone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't know, but just raising the issue is intriguing or, uh, you know, opens the imagination up. But, but I also, at the same time, I'm kind of thinking ahead You'll never have any future president go anywhere near any device that he or she doesn't absolutely own and control forever. Like, they'll never use official email after Hillary. They'll never use an official cell phone after Trump, right? I mean, you're, you're going you're gonna to basically force what should be public and archival stuff into the shadows because nobody wants to be gotcha like this. I think I think you're absolutely right. And uh, in Hillary Clinton's case, what she did is she just destroyed the uh, the email so that their the the device that held the email. So that was the end of that. And and looking down the road a little bit even further, in terms of what Jack Smith's trying to do, uh, I think he's trying to get a felony conviction against Trump before the election to try to taint the election, or at least to throw out enough bad information that that might influence the election. But the bottom line is. If Trump wins the election somehow, would a criminal conviction preclude him from taking office? I don't think it would. Mm -hmm. And if the criminal con uh, proceedings are still pending and he won, Trump, as the president of the United States, could just order the attorney general to dismiss the federal proceedings, and that, that would be the end of it. So when they say uncharted waters, it really mm -hmm. is. These are mm -hmm. things that are going to be uh, have an incredible impact on the system of justice and the constitutional powers and limitations on the presidency from now on. I'm just going to say one more thing. You should not have revealed that you were in the Supreme Court in 1974 because I thought you were way younger than that. And well, thank I'm just you. like I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you. I thought you were like a. I would have thought you were like a toddler in 1974. So what do I know? Uh, you're doing something right, Professor. And we appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on uh, tonight with us, as you always do. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year I don't know if there'll be snow But have a cup of cheer Alright, if you're having a cup of cheer You should put it down and put both hands on the wheel I'm just going to say that We haven't talked about um, Ukraine lately And it's in the news today Because Zelensky is here visiting Biden in Congress And he is here because Biden is so unpopular Biden can't 
persuade Congress to give him the money. So they bring Zelensky over here. Basically, he is the, the lobbyist for this aid package. And he has said, among other things, during this visit that Vladimir Putin is inspired by the debate and deadlock over aid to Ukraine in Congress. That Congress hesitating and debating giving Ukraine the stuff is like music to Vladimir Putin's ears and it's it's putting a spring in his step and which is a interesting turn of a phrase. Uh and I, I have to I have to say I think if you used AI to create a persuasive, sympathetic, um charismatic foreign leader who could talk Washington out of every last dollar we have, AI would invent Zelensky. The guy is good. And I don't know, I don't really know what the deal is with him. I know that when this whole thing started, my heart went out to the Ukrainian people because they look like they're having a horrible time. It's hell over there. I get that. All this money, and in proportions we've never seen before, and with no accountability, and no end in sight feels like a grift. I'm sorry, it just does. It's not clear to me that this is not the military-industrial complex run amok. I mean, what do you think? 210-599-5555. Here's uh, Ohio Senator J.D. Vance talking about it recently on a podcast. Listen to this, cut number four. We're going to be asked to rebuild their entire country. That's after funding another $100, $200 billion in military conflict. There's $300 billion on top of that to rebuild the country. Then we got to pay for their pensioners. We're getting easily a half a trillion dollars in the hole for the Ukraine conflict by the time this is done. And, Steve, at the very same time, you have people in this town saying we need to cut Social Security. There are people who would cut Social Security, throw our grandparents into poverty. Why? So that one of Zelensky's ministers can buy a bigger yacht? Kiss my ass, Steve. It's not happening. He's talking to Steve Bannon on that podcast. Um, so one possibility I have is that I just don't know if, if we know, or you and I, meaning we, not them, Washington we, the you and I we, do we know where this money's going? Is this on the up and up, do you think? But here's another possibility. Every day the news is full of stories about how much trouble, political trouble Joe Biden is in and how his polls are at all-time lows and the Democrats are panicking uh, about his reelection. And it's not because they like him or they love him or he's admirable, but because he's he dragged them across the finish line in 2020 and they may need him to do it again. And he said something interesting the other day that didn't get a lot of uh, coverage when he said it. We've kind of had this kicking around on our little... Uh, audio cheat sheet here. I wanted to play it for you and then ask you what you think it means. Stun, uh, play cut number one from President Biden. Well, we've committed as a NATO member that we defend every inch of NATO territory. Then we'll have something that we don't seek and that we don't have today. American troops fighting Russian troops. American troops fighting Russian troops if he moves into other parts of NATO. Why, why would he move into other parts of NATO? Well, first of all, other parts of NATO is a misnomer because Ukraine is not NATO. But maybe he 
thinks people don't know that or not everybody. You know that, but not everybody out there knows that. Do you think, am I crazy to wonder? (laughs) Yes, Jack, you're crazy. Am I crazy to wonder if Biden wouldn't want a wider war or U.S. troops in a war to help him get reelected? Because historically, and it's not a guarantee, but historically, we reelect presidents when we're at war. And right now, we're funding war, but we're not in these wars. And if we were in these wars, or one of them, and we all know the one it would be, does he think that would change the political dynamic? I'm going to take your calls on that. I mean, I'm just... I'm no expert, but we're giving exponentially more money to Ukraine, and we're being told that we must, we have to. We're being told that it's we're not even we're not even helping Ukraine. They tell us we're helping ourselves. This is uh, if we don't do this, we're, we're going to be in big trouble. Meanwhile, uh, Israel is winning clearly, and our leaders are trying to hold them back. Israel is fighting uh, an enemy we know is also our enemy. And there's no doubt about that. Uh, And they're winning. And it's, you know, obvious. And then there's our southern border, which actually is our country. And it's not kind of sort of about our national security, but is totally our national security. And uh, you're not supposed to link the two together. You're not supposed to say, well, you can have your Ukraine money when we get our border money. Oh, no, that's playing politics. All right, so what do you think of all this? 210-599-5555. Let me start with Calvin on the Jack Riccardi Show and KTSA. Calvin, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks uh, for taking my call. Uh, I was just, you know, I keep seeing all over social media where it's in our best national security interest to support Ukraine and keep funding them. But uh, what I don't hear is anything about the EU funding them. You know, that's in their backyard. It would seem like that's in their best interest. Yet, mm. you know, in the past, we've had to bully uh, the EU into doing mm. their share of their own national defense. So I think our southern border is more in our national defense interest than Ukraine is right now. It, it, we do seem to have a problem, and I, I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, Trump was the only guy that asked the question, why is there still NATO? We seem to have made the European countries... Um, like, what would be the right word, Calvin? Addicted or dependent on us doing all the heavy lifting? And they don't even budget it for is. it. I mean, why, why would they? You're, I, yeah, you're correct. And, you know, they've been able to afford um, basically their social medicine system and everything mm. else because we do pay for their defense, and we've been doing so since, you know, the 70s and 80s. So it's time for them to step up. You know, if they had to make the hard choices, I think that their country would look a lot different now. Um, do you have any doubt that, um, I mean, are you one of those who believes we do need to, we need Ukraine to win this fight? Are you convinced of that? Or are you, is that just what people say? Like, how does that sound to you? Well, I'm not convinced. You know, I think that's what Putin does want. I think he wants that territory, which he still considers his. I think he'd like that back. Right. Right. But I, uh. You know, we've kind of pushed him into this. We could have had a settlement a long time ago, uh, but our own State Department nixed it, uh, from what I've read. Yeah. So uh, I really don't know. I don't see him going into any 
the other ex-Soviet bloc countries, but no. I don't think you want to try. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Calvin, great call. Thank you. Thank you for being on our show. Uh, 210-599-5555. It's, again, not to get in the weeds, but um, they used to say the worst thing you could do uh, with the foreign policy of the United States would be to drive Russia and China into one another's arms. Tell me how we are not doing that right now. And I'm I'm not suggesting that these are both repellent regimes and we should embrace one or something, but uh, there is something very short-sighted and I think it feels like it doesn't end well with the uh, ways in which the bad actors of the world all of a sudden are finding common cause with each other and uh, and all of a sudden the United States is this... Um, basically this payroll desk for again we're not we're not aiding ukraine's military operations we are funding their day-to-day government their bureaucracies their fire departments and police departments and their power grid and their you know their 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 uh, pension program about a third of it is what we know of how did that happen? <laughs> we we aren't funding our own, but we're funding theirs. How is it not okay to link? Let me play this thing from Mike Johnson, because the linking of, well, if you want to do that over there, you've got to take care of things here, to me, makes sense. That's like, that does, that works in my world. This was Mike Johnson. Um, he was doing a forum with the Wall Street Journal. And they asked him about uh, the whole deal of of uh, our involvement and U.S. troops being involved and the funding thing. This is some of what he had to say. Cut number, uh, what are we on here? Uh, cut number two, I think. Done. Mr. Speaker, you've got a very tough job, and thanks for coming here tonight. Look, um, the Ukrainians aren't just fighting for their own freedom. They're fighting for everyone's freedom. Sure. And Ukrainians are fighting and dying so that Americans and Britons and Australians don't have to fight and die. Uh, I absolutely take your point about the need to sort out the chaos on the border, but just because you can't get both things right, isn't it better to get one thing right? So could I please appeal to you, please don't go home for Christmas without at least giving the Ukrainians what they need to fight for their freedom. Listen, I, I hear, yeah. Listen to his answer. He's a pretty smart guy. You've echoed the request that I've made to the White House since October 26th in that morning, and they've not come forward to help in any way. I know Ukrainians are dying, but you know that fentanyl is the leading cause of death in the U.S. for Americans age 18 to 49? The leading cause of death. And the reason it is is because the border is wide open, because it comes from China, it's processed in Mexico, and it's sent uh, right into our country. We have to fix our own border. It's not, it should not be a controversial notion. We should have done it a long time ago. And the interesting thing about this is that it's a policy change that's very simple to do. The, the president could easily do this, but they are unwilling, and I cannot for the life of me understand why. So we're going to take care, we'll take care of our obligations, but when I go home, the American people, my constituents and constituents all around this country are demanding that we get control of that border. And we can do both. We can do both. 
Um, I think he's right. And again, not only do I think you have to, if you're going to make the national security argument about Ukraine, you have to deal with the national security threat imminent now, right here, southern border, a couple of hours from us. You also, I think, if you're going to talk about how we must help Ukraine because otherwise that could be our fight and this is about principles, then why is Biden throwing Israel under the bus now? I mean, if you think about it, it looks like Hamas is getting creamed. It looks like Israel is winning that war. In fact, over the weekend, a Hamas spokesman proclaimed that they will kill all of their remaining hostages if Israel does not meet their demands. And I don't know if they would do that or not, but hostages are the only leverage that Hamas has over Israel. It's using them as human shields. So if they're threatening to kill them, that feels like endgame stuff, doesn't it? Like we're, we're, you know, they, they must be feeling pretty desperate. So at a moment when the Israeli defense forces are succeeding and advancing and showing extraordinary restraint, which they don't have to do, Biden, who initially said all the right things, and we said that on this show, he, he struck the right, when he went over there, he said the right things. I will stand by them. I will always. Now he's throwing them under the bus. He was at a, a fundraising dinner Monday night, which is most of what Joe Biden does nowadays, is Democratic Party fundraisers. And at the fundraising dinner, which was off the record, but people talk about it, and they, you know, obviously come out of these things and chat and post Apparently, he said, among other things, that Israel needed to change its government, that Americans were losing their uh, support for the fight against Hamas, that Netanyahu is too hardline, it's the most conservative government in Israel's history, it doesn't support a two-state solution, Uh, American support for Israel is waning. So in the middle of their fight, he's telling their government to quit. In the middle of Ukraine's fight, He has their government here, and he's throwing money at them. Not only that, but because he's Joe Biden, he's also wrong about all that. Remember, was it Gates, Bob Gates, who said, this was years ago when Biden was VP, that Joe Biden was the only guy he'd ever met that had been wrong about every major foreign policy question the United States had faced. Gates was a guy that worked, he was the A&M guy, remember? And he he had worked for Republican presidents and Democratic presidents. He worked for Obama and he worked for Bush. And he, he said Biden was the only guy I'd ever met that was wrong all the time when it came to foreign policy. So it's not true that support for Israel is waning. What is true is that people who support Joe Biden don't support Israel. That That may be true. So we're showing a lot of weakness for an ally who is winning, a fight everyone agrees is morally just. But we are showing support for a country that was not traditionally an ally, that is really sort of newly introduced to the American consciousness, Ukraine. Uh, The circumstances are clear. They were invaded. We get that. 
Aiding them seems logical and sensible. We get that. Not wanting Putin to win. We get that. But the way they're framing it, it makes me more suspicious with every passing day. I don't know how you feel about it. 210-599-5555. Aaron is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Aaron, welcome. Good afternoon. Thank you. Did you want to talk about this, Aaron? Um, yeah, I think uh, Netanyahu's probably got a limited amount of time in the government power. The fact that uh, their spy agencies missed the fact that this invasion was going to happen uh, is going to crumble him on that. Uh, they have the best in the world, and uh, they couldn't catch something that was right next door to them in a very mm-hmm. small yeah. yeah, I do wonder about that. So you would like to see him go, but that's really not the issue. I mean, even if he goes, they're still going to be in this fight. Oh, definitely. I, I don't want to say I'd like to see him go. I'm just saying there's really no other answer. I don't think the Israeli people stand for it. Mm-hmm. Why would, if we were an ally, why would we be bringing that up in the middle of them fighting this war? That would be sort of like, I guess, I don't know, if we had referenced uh, some Churchill scandal during World War II or something. Like, why would you do that? As an ally, why would you do that? Uh, it's not necessarily something I think they're really going to push right off the bat. Uh, Israel has a different policy. They never negotiate over uh, hostages. They never have since they became a country. That's something the U.S. and various other Western right, powers right. do. Those hostages but I, but, but the question I'm asking, Aaron, is w- when we're saying we're with you, that isn't really directed at Netanyahu. Isn't that directed at the Israeli people? And so why, as an ally, would we would, would Joe Biden reference an, a change in regime when the supposedly, I would think, the fight is still the fight? I would assume it's the last couple years of uh, their um, choke holding their uh, judicial system. A lot of changes in that uh, from what we're used to out of Israel. Okay. Uh the, the the Israeli judicial system. Correct. Okay. I guess I, I maybe we'll just agree to disagree. I, I just I think it's I think it's stabbing in the back. Uh, they've been through they've been through the equivalent of thirty nine elevens. Uh, they've they've had the worst attack in their history. Uh, everybody can see that. Um, it's the Israeli military 100%. that is I, leading I, that. That is leading that response, not not Netanyahu. Yeah, they have a parliamentary oh. system; he can be replaced. But the fu- they will still be in that fight. I, I guess I don't think the other stuff should matter. But Aaron, look, I appreciate the call. Thank- jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Snowing and blowing a bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell. Rock. Talking about uh, the. Trinity of talking points these days in Washington. We got to fund Ukraine. We got to fund Israel. We got to fund the southern border. Some people are saying you you're going to have to do all three, or we won't do any of them. Mostly Republicans. The Democrats are saying, "Oh no, no, that's terrible. That's terrible. Uh, you, you, that that's terrible. That you would link those things." But really, and I get that both sides can play politics and be clever, but. Look, if you're going to talk about the need to do Ukraine funding or Israel funding in terms of our national security, uh, 
I don't think you can get around the thing that Johnson said about how we have a, 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 a drug coming across the southern border that's the leading cause of death for American young people. You, you can't get around that. You, you can't be invoking the security of the country on far-flung foreign conflicts and not and clearly not dealing at all with the one right here on our southern border. Uh, Paul is on the radio on KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Paul, welcome to the show. Uh, yes, sir. Well, first of all, one of the things that I wanted to mention was that we were talking about Ukraine versus what's happening in Israel. Um, obviously, I would vote for Trump. I love Trump. He's, he's strong, etc. But think about Nikki Haley. She's been in the U.N. I would love for her to stand up and say, look, let's denounce the U.N. Did they uh, call for a ceasefire in Ukraine? Did they ask for all these things? When Russia, uh, they, they invaded without any cause. And here we are with Israel, uh, 1,200 people just slaughtered, and they're calling for a, a, yeah. a ceasefire. Now, just- I, I got I to plead ignorance, Paul. I'm pretty sure, you, you might know more than I do, but I'm pretty sure Nikki Haley has never denounced the U.N. She, she went there and served in it, and you would think, you're right, you would think her experience with that would be would make her the natural person to say they're all wet. I don't think she's ever done that, has she? Well, I don't know that she has. But I'm thinking if I'm Nikki Haley, that's what I would do. I'm telling you, the U.N. is the biggest waste in the history of the world. There's no question. Well, but, yeah, okay, I, I look, I, it hasn't worked out. You're right. Um, it was a good idea. It just hasn't worked out. But... Um, I don't think wishing for her to do something she's never done, I don't think that's ever going to happen. You know, she's, she is what she is. This is who she is. And she's not going to suddenly do that. I don't think. Okay. Well, I, I understand. And in history and listening to your program, you don't think that much of her. But honest to goodness, let me ask you a question. Yeah. If, yeah. if we, if we get, um, Trump as the nominee, and Nikki Haley as the vice president, don't you think that's a winning combination, or do you think it'll ever happen? Hmm. Um, I guess that's a good ticket. I, I, don't, I don't think that will happen, because I don't think Trump wants anyone that would uh, compete with him, you know, for, uh, you know, like she, I think, I think she might outshine him on some things. And I don't think he wants a running mate that can do that. I, I, I don't dislike her, uh, or, or hate her or anything. Uh, I'm just not really sold on her. I, what I was saying yesterday was it feels like the Republican establishment is sold on her and they're trying to convince Republican primary voters she's your only choice. She's your best choice. You got to go with her. It's like she's being force-fed to Republican voters. I just, I don't agree with that, but that doesn't mean I dislike her. You know what I'm saying? Well, I understand that, but uh, what I'm trying to say, and if you'll listen to Nikki Haley, and when they ask about Trump, the mm-hmm. only negative thing she talks about mm-hmm. is the fact that he's not going to have time to uh, really mm-hmm. go out there and do the political things because of all the court dates. I'm telling right. you, she's running for VP. 
And it okay. would be a great combination, although you think the Americans want a strong woman? I think not. We're a bunch of pansies out there. Well, when you say the Americans, aren't you and I Americans? <laughs> I don't I don't think we but, I don't think uh, I don't think I don't think that's a problem um, at all. I'm sorry, I disagree with you on that. And yeah, I mean, I could see that as a ticket. That's that seems fine. That's kind of like traditionally, right? That's what political parties traditionally do. The guy that wins uh, usually picks one of the chief rivals to be the running mate. So yeah, that could that could happen. I have no problem with it. Um, I just I do I do have a little bit of a problem. And Paul, thank you for the call. I do have a little bit of a problem with the Republican elites. Uh, pushing out these unbelievable poll numbers and sort of crazy claims that uh, she's going to have this Reagan landslide. I don't. I don't think I believe that. Uh, it's not that I dislike her. Um, and and you know, Trump. I may be wrong about this. I just feel like his choice of a running mate will be somebody like Mike Pence or Ben Carson, who's kind of on the quiet side, who knows how to be, you know, a loyal number two. Uh, doesn't make them a bad person, uh, but I would be kind of surprised. I'll just say it. I would be very surprised if Trump picked a superstar, uh, somebody who's, you know, who gets a lot of clicks and makes a lot of news and is very outspoken because that's competition for him, and he doesn't seem to like that. Uh, we'll see. See what happens. Um, I sure wish he had. Uh, <laughs> sure, wish he had quieted down Fauci. The, Fauci kind of disproves my theory because he tolerated Fauci traipsing around the country like he was running everything. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, Trump was fine with that. But generally, if you watch him in action, uh, he puts people around him who know their place and are very silently uh, loyal. And uh, again, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. That's kind of what I would expect from a running mate. That would probably rule out Haley and Ramaswamy and... um, Certainly rule out DeSantis, but yeah, I could be wrong about all that. I want to thank the storm that brought the snow. Thanks to the string of lights that make it glow. But I want to thank you, baby. You make it feel like Christmas. thinking about the last gentleman that called just one other thing i would throw in there i don't know if it matters anymore the stuff that we used to think were were the rules of presidential elections for example uh do you think so-and-so would be a good running mate for trump i don't think trump's running mate will have anything to do with how the election turns out does that sound crazy because i know we all grew up uh, you were taught uh, they gotta have geographical balance and right has to run with left and you got to pick your running mate strategically. But I don't, especially with Donald Trump, people have priced in how they feel about him. The, The opinions are baked. The cakes are baked. I can't, I can't imagine a kind of voter that would be like, well, I was against Trump until he picked that running mate, but now I'm going to vote for him. Like, I don't think there's anybody that would have that effect. So it, it, Probably doesn't matter, other than obviously that person needs to be ready to serve as president. That's important, always has been. 
Yeah, I don't think the the a, a lot of the old rules that we all grew up learning about politics probably don't apply. There's a story today that the governor of New Hampshire, uh, who is pretty popular in his state and is kind of a centrist Republican, like most New England Republicans are, he's endorsed Haley. People are like, well, now she could win the New Hampshire primary. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I guess she could, but I don't think endorsements like that matter like they used to. Because endorsements mattered when people had so much respect and reverence that if the governor of their state said, hey, people of such and such a state, the right choice for us is, you know, Joe Smith. Oh, okay, well, Joe Smith then. That's not how we are anymore, you know? If anything, we're probably contrarian. Like, I'll show him. Not going to tell me who to vote for. 210-599-5555. Don, I got to tell the, I got to tell the story we were talking about earlier. Um, I was going through, flipping through some emails and, um, gentleman wrote in, it was a very nice note. And he said, I, I, I have a suggestion for your show. Um, I think that when you ask questions and you give your opinion, you intimidate people, and intimidate wasn't maybe the word he used, but sort of like you intimidate or preempt people from calling in with their opinions because you give yours. You ask the question or you raise the issue, and then you give your opinion, which that's true, I do. And he was saying, um, and this is what I really didn't get. He said, well, couldn't you raise the question or raise the issue and then wait for people to call in and express their opinion. And I thought, what would that sound like? How would you wait on a talk show for people to, you know what I'm saying, Don? Mm-hmm. Like, how, I don't know how that would work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I ask a question or, or raise an issue, mm-hmm. of course I'm going to, Chris, I'm going to tell you what I think. Um, but there's also the fact that if, if there isn't already a caller waiting, I can't believe I'm even explaining this. I have to keep, I have to keep talking because that's what we have here. I can't put a, I can't put, I can't put a record on. Uh, we don't have like filler material. Well, we could try it out if you like. All right. So like I would raise a question, uh, you know, raise an issue. Should we uh, give more money to Ukraine? I'm going to hold back. I'm not going to say anything about what I think. Let's see if anyone has an opinion. And in the meantime, hmm. how long is this piece? As much time as you need. Oh, okay. So you're not supposed you got to got it looped. Yes. You're not supposed to speak. Oh, sorry. We just let the music play. Right. I don't think this would... uh, No. I'm certainly no expert, but I don't think this would work. Nice music, though. It's very soothing. There probably are times that people would rather hear that than me. I can can definitely accept that. We can always Uh, try... I kind of have to keep moving forward. (laughs) There's really no other... There's no. I'm the only game in town here from four to seven. So you can always uh, try different types of music, like. 
Oh. What else you got? I don't like that. Yeah, that's a little... You have that Russian piece we used to play? Where's that Russian piece we used to play? The Russian piece. What was that? Uh, I think... That... Oh, yeah. We used to play it at the end of the show sometime. Yeah. I thought I had it. You probably have so much there you can't even find it all. <laughs> um, yeah, we could play the Jeopardy theme, right? Mm-hmm. When oh. they're trying to come up with the... Here it goes. The final Jeopardy answer. Oh. Yeah, that's the guy. Missed him. That could work. But for how long? You know, like how many? I mean, hour after hour, day after day. I don't know. I would only. I think, give I think it, missing. I think you have to. He has to go away for us to miss him. You know. I would only give that window of opportunity maybe thirty seconds, maybe. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. I I appreciate the gentleman's suggestion, but I, I'm gonna do this the way we've done it, and uh, and you should not be intimidated to call. You you should also not feel you have to. I mean, we. We and I, I chide myself when I hear myself say "join the show" because I feel like you've joined the show just by listening. If you're just hanging out here, if you're just if you're if you're just got the podcast in your ear, or you're listening to the show while you drive or whatever, you, to me, for me, you're part of it. You've joined it, and I appreciate you. You don't have to call to do that, but if you want to call, you can. And I'm when the- you don't, I have to keep. I have to keep going. Yes. And I'm the buffer between the callers because I'm the one that can be intimidate, intimidated by you, and I'll just I'll take the heat for that so the callers what don't a, feel that Yeah, way. what an untold story you have. Don <laughs> is like a combination. He's like a, he's like a crisis hotline combined with a service desk, combined with a complaint department, combined with, I mean, you've got to do a little psychology. You've got a lot going on there. Yeah, and sympathize I, uh, sometimes. Sympathy, yeah, yeah. got yeah. all of that. Yeah. So. and you're and you're good a little at bit it. of cry in there sometimes. Is there? Yeah. I'm sorry to hear yeah. that. We get the you know we we all get the weepies sometimes. So that's <laughs> part of it. Wow, go easy on Don. <laughs> Come on, he's only one man. Um, in the meantime, I think we'll uh take the music experiment under advisement. I don't know if we should. Uh, I think I've told the story before. I worked at a station that was, um, have I told this before? It was a station that was transitioning to talk. And um, the program director said, we're going to gradually back off the music, the songs, because we were doing talk and playing some songs, and um, which was a very popular format at one time. And he was like, we're going to gradually remove the songs, but not all at once. And... Uh, so yeah, I, I actually would. I would. This was on WGY in the early 1990s. I would throw out, uh, you know, Bush or Clinton, you know, and then we'd play a Beach Boys song, and then we'd come back with a call. But we had been playing. That station had been playing music for years and years, so it, it made sense to people. But I don't know if we could just suddenly start doing that now. My point. So. The other thing, I guess, would be total silence, but I think there might be a problem with that. So, uh, two ten five. For, <laughs> for some, that might be you know that might be the answer. It might be the right most there. welcome mm-hmm. thing of mm-hmm. all. That's what we've been <laughs> waiting for. What took you so long, Riccardi? Christmas is children who just can't go to sleep. 
Christmas is memories the kind you always keep. Deck the halls and give a cheer for all the things that Christmas is each year. Christmas is carols to warm you in the snow. Christmas is bedtime when no one wants to go. All the world is tinsel right. Mm. Remember that? Remember wanting to stay up? Remember, it, remember on Christmas Eve, you'd want to stay up? You'd, you'd try everything. You'd be like a member of Congress. You'd be pulling out all your arguments. You'd be making speeches to your parents about staying up, and you wanted to stay up. And Now we're old enough to stay up, and we fall asleep at 9 o'clock. Can't explain that one. 210-599-5555. Jack Riccardi Show. Jeff is on the radio. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jack. Uh, actually, on your opinion and you voicing that, I... I do appreciate it. I think it, you know, provokes, you know, the ideas that we have in the audience, and then it gets us thinking, and then, you know, then we got this dialogue going on. But I would take an interlude from Lou Rawls anytime if you want to. Hey, use that's that true. One. That's true. That's a, I'll <laughs> um, make a note of that. I agree with you. Yeah, I was just going to say this whole Ukraine, Israel, and the border funding and support and all this stuff. I'm I'm outraged is not the right word, but I cannot believe that our administration and our political leadership cannot recognize the issue that the border has created and we mm-hmm. and we continue to just flow this money to Ukraine. And mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of IOUs to Ukraine, I'm sure, but um I was just gonna make a point uh, like you mentioned about Churchill back in the time of World War II. And if anybody would have, I guess, um, maybe done the same thing that Biden did uh, with Netanyahu, I think uh, Churchill would have told them to go jump in the lake and he would have pressed on. Um, and uh, anyway, I... I mean, I can I understand so- the guy. The, the gentleman that called in was, is right that Netanyahu has political troubles yeah. and Churchill did too. I mean Churchill got Churchill got defeated exactly. toward the end of World War II by his own people. But yeah. but you don't you don't you let that happen. You don't you don't talk about that over here while the guy's in the fight of his life. Right. I mean they were invaded. They were yeah. they had their nine eleven. Right. right. There is nobody in our leadership that has an ounce of sense or clarity about what needs to happen. It's just... <laughs> well, don't anyway, worry, Jeff. I, I really uh, the, the, all the clarity and wisdom uh, is on its way. It's it's just about to graduate from college. And um, as oh, soon as right, they... Right on, man. As, <laughs> as soon as they graduate, they're going to head to Washington and straighten it out. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate your call. Appreciate your words. Um, I, I got to tell you, I know you hate when I talk about sports. They had two Monday night games last night. That should have been dogs. Okay. Tennessee, Miami should have been a Dolphins blowout. The Titans won that game doing something that I, I think has seldom, if ever, been done. They overcame a 14 point deficit with like three minutes to go and upset the Dolphins was like 28, 27 or something like that. A really bad for Miami to, lose that game 
And then the Giants upset Green Bay. One game was on ABC, one game was on ESPN. The, the Giants quarterback at this point is a kid named Tommy DeVito, who, because I'm a college football fan, I've been following for years. He went to Syracuse and he played at Illinois in his senior year. And he's just, he's a good kid. I cannot believe that he now looks like QB1 for the New York Giants, a, a team, by the way, that has now won three games in a row and is actually in the hunt for a wild-card spot. Uh, but he was fantastic and has become the toast of New York. He he grew up, I think, in New Jersey, played most of his career at Syracuse. So he's kind of like a New York guy. And um, he's got a nickname that's one of the best sports nicknames I've ever heard. Saquon Barkley named him Tommy Cutlets because Tommy DeVito did an interview. By the way, when your name is Tommy, you can have any nickname, right? Like that's the great, that's the greatest first name for a nickname, right? Like, you know, when you start with Tommy, anything can flow from that, right? But he got Tommy Cutlets from Saquon Barkley because he had done an interview where he said that he still lives at home because he loves his mother's cooking. And um, he says, you know, everything I need is at home with my family. Uh, I get my home cooking. I don't have to worry about laundry. I don't have to worry about my meeting for dinner. My mom makes my bed. And his her favorite uh, his favorite recipe of hers is her uh, chicken cutlets. So Tommy Cutlets, best sports nickname we have going right now. I give up. You can always do it tomorrow or some other day. You know, it's funny. I, I, I have heard so many people now... And there was an article at MySA.com where so many people talk about how Whataburger's no good anymore since they sold their they sold the company. And I, I had it the other night. It was over the weekend. You're going to have to help me out with this. There is a theory. So Whataburger sold to a Chicago company in 2019. And it was a big headline at the time. I remember it. We talked about it. It was in the news. It was a big news story. And... I don't remember this starting immediately. I don't remember anything right away. But after a while, you started hearing grumblings from people that the food wasn't good, the experience wasn't the same, this new owner ownership group or these new managers or whatever were ruining Whataburger. And it's always unclear to me when something like this happens what the actual chain of custody is. Like, just because at a particular moment you sign the document and now you own the restaurant that doesn't immediately change what's going on in the restaurant what changes the restaurant especially a chain restaurant has to play out over time if you're going to make changes it's going to be in the ordering of food and the training and hiring of personnel and the guidelines about how many pickles we put on the cheeseburger and all that stuff right so it takes a while and also, if you buy a brand, if you are somebody that buys a an iconic brand, while it's true that sometimes the people that buy these things are soulless corporate ghouls and they just run it into the ground, it's also often true that they know they bought something valuable, they want it to become even more valuable, and so it's not in their best interest to destroy it or make it taste bad. Like, that wouldn't be good business. I do not see the fall off that I hear people talk about. Do you? Do you see it? 210-599-5555. I won't argue. I just want to 
That's why we put it on the poll today. Do you think they lost something after the out-of-town takeover? And I even wonder if we're kind of conditioned to see it when it isn't even there because we know that there's somebody, you know, from outside of Texas running it. Like, is there a psychological part of this where actually the food is the same, but you think it's different, you're looking for it to be different? I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not accusing you. That's a good thought. I think it is. Because what if they had never told us? What if we didn't even know? What if we thought, oh, the headquarters is in Corpus, like it always was? You know, we didn't didn't even know. And, and, And this is not to say, by the way, and Don, I think you'll agree with this, this is not to say that there's always been variations like some Whataburgers are better than the others and sometimes you'd get a bad sandwich or a bad customer experience at a particular location because I think that's true of all chains, mm-hmm. any big multi-location chain. But, but, but no, these are people who believe across the board the, the product has slipped. Do you agree or disagree? 210 599 Fifty-five, fifty-five, and I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I guess you'd have to eat Whataburger regularly, or used to eat it regularly to know. Um, I don't go a lot. If I get it, um, I guess I get it maybe once a month. I don't even know if it's that often, but you know, I, I don't. Uh, there's a lot of locations, and some are better than others. I know which ones I like, and um, when I go to those, I don't feel like they're cutting corners. I don't feel like they're robbing me of anything doesn't doesn't taste all chicago to me when i bite into my patty melt i don't know it's just me 210-599-5555 today's river city oral surgery jr poll do you think whataburger lost something after the 2019 out of state sale michael is on the jack riccardi show on ktsa michael welcome to the show hey jack four things changed their service I don't think their service is nearly as good as it used to be. I used to always get their grilled chicken salad. That's changed completely. Their biscuits and gravy, completely different uh, com- different uh, than it used to be. So there has been a lot of changes. Mm. But the most and this all see, did this all start with the takeover by yeah. the out of staters? That's that's my humble opinion. It yeah. all you know they're cutting corners. You know, the attitude with the employees is different. Um, that's just my personal opinion. It feels like, it, you know, it, and, and, and like you said, it's uh, just it just seems like it's changed. So I don't uh, I don't go there nearly as much as I used to. I used to be a big water water burger fan. Yeah. Well, those are very specific examples. I mean, you, you sound like you definitely know what you're you, – you have some experience. You know what you're talking about. Do you yeah. think that um, – let me just throw this out there. Aren't a lot of places cost-cutting and cutting corners? I feel like that's kind of a, a trend I see in a lot of restaurants. That Yeah, I agree with you. That is definitely a trend. Yeah. And, I mean, and who, I who's to say that wouldn't have happened even if they stayed under the same ownership, right? Well, well true. But, I mean, you, you know, when you got something that's good, don't change it. And uh, yeah, you know, it seems yeah, like they made the changes that they were cutting corners. And, yeah. Believe me, I, I can only imagine how difficult it is to get uh, employees for restaurants now, but it just seems like uh, their service has gone down. The only okay. difference that I see since this new company co- took over, 
they tried to do the, uh, the I guess, the, uh, the service thing. They ask for your name when they place your order. They never did that before. So that's a little bit of a difference. But uh, as far as the overall employees and the service, I, I think it's gone down. That's my humble opinion. Michael would like to turn back the hands of time to before 2019 for Whataburger. Absolutely. Michael, thank you. Great call. <laughs> uh, very specific stuff. Can't uh, knock him for that. Roland is on the Jack Riccardi Show. All right, Roland, uh, did they lose something when they sold to an out-of-state company? Well, Jack, I don't know where that guy goes, but uh, Whataburger I go to, and I really never used to be a Whataburger fan, but uh, the one I go to on Military Drive and set in the road, top-notch. Service is always great with a smile. Food is always yeah. hot, delicious, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the fact about putting your name down, they used to give you that little tent with a number on it. Yeah. Well, I guess they do the names, less contact. You know what I mean? Oh. oh. And, I um, thought they were still doing the tent. The last time I went, I got the little tent card. Did that? Is that gone everywhere? Well, or? well like I said, the one, uh, the one I go to, they do that name. Yeah. Uh, put the oh, name okay. down on there. Huh. And they walk around with a tray offering you napkins, ketchup, and such. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, as far as uh, service and food, top notch. I don't know which one he goes to, but eh, I don't know. How top long notch. have you been going to that location, Roland? Oh, uh, well, let me see. Let's see. Well, you know, uh, it's been a while, but I can't really remember because I don't know if you know enough. I've never heard anybody call about it. When you go to Whataburger, make an order or some of your receipts. You do a survey, and the next visit, you get a burger when you purchase a fry and a drink. And that's the reason I started going. I started going because of that. I got a glove compartment full of them receipts. And every time I go over there with my receipt, every time I go over there, I I used to go to Griff's. I used to go to Griff's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know. I've been going over there since before they even sold out. You have all the receipts in the glove compartment. You're like, all right, time to get a free burger. All right. Roland's Roland's probably taking all the surveys. All their survey data is probably from Roland. All right, Roland, thank you for the call. Yeah, we've got a lot of responses on our It's all one guy. 210-599-5555. Do you think Whataburger changed for the worse or lost something after selling to an out-of-state owner in 2019 is our poll question. Doug is on the radio. Hi, Doug. Hey, Jack. Yeah, I eat Whataburger from probably Lake Charles, Louisiana, all the way up here, and usually in, in outside of Beaumont and Lumberton, the same one. Nothing's changed. I think you probably nailed it on the head you, when you said, if we did not know, how many people would think about it? The subliminal messaging stuff that you hear about. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, I think if you condition people to notice difference, somehow they will find one. Yes. And that's where, yeah, the only real difference in the Whataburgers I usually attend is they, now they ask you your name, but two of them still do the tags. They still do the tags. But if we had not known that they changed, would would any of us ever think about it? All right, so we've had a, we've had some very different answers here, uh, ranging from thank you, thank you, Doug. So one answer, oh, here are all the things that have changed. Very definitely, next guy, don't see any difference. Doug saying it might be uh, planting the seed or the thought. Uh, I I will say, in our business, and Don Cooper, you'll remember this. 
I when I worked in music radio, once in a while you'd get like new owners, new program director, and they would out with the it's the all new one hundred five point five FM. Be the same music, be the same songs, mm-hmm. but they would give it like a new. Now we're mix one hundred five point five, or now we're you know a little right. More. A little more enthusiasm in the voice. Give it a little, or they just give it a little, they'd give it a little, they'd give it a new name or like a new logo. But as somebody that worked there, you know, we're still playing the same, this is the same songs. It's the same radio station. But lo and behold, people thought, oh, it's the all new uh, Z104.7, you know. I think it's the word, the use of the word new. You know, if you hear Mm -hmm. that word, you think, Mm -hmm. oh, this is new. Mm -hmm. Something different's going to happen. Well, and if you don't notice something different, like if if you were to if you were to hear that something was new, but you couldn't determine or or discern a difference, you would keep looking. There you go. Until you, you go. found one, mm-hmm. because you would think, well, I'm, I don't want to be a dummy. I mean, everybody's saying it's new. I, I don't see how <laughs> it's right. new. Let, let me let me look more closely. Let me look at my biscuit more closely. Let me check the <laughs> viscosity of my gravy more closely. Aha. These Chicago people have, you know, is it that maybe? I don't know. I like your idea about uh, the, the, the theory, uh, the psych- psychological theory, that uh, I think sometimes when we hear that someone's buying something that we feel that is ours, you yes. know, then well, like, everything's going to be taken away. That company? If I was that co- I don't even know the name of that company, but if I was that company, I'd have uh, bought myself a little uh, post office box somewhere in Texas, and I'd have put the word out that a Texas company has bought Whataburger. Because mm-hmm. if you know anything about Texas, you don't announce that you're in Chicago and you're now running things. You just, you, that's, that's a, what are you thinking? Yeah, your you mind do that. Your mind automatically thinks, oh, they're going to they're change the color of the building. They're going to Not just change gonna, it. Change the menu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, if you know anything about doing business in Texas, you would know, never let them know, never let on, never renounce, reveal anything that it's being, that the board meets or the corporate offices meet in some other city. Just don't, just don't even do that. Anyway, it's too late now because people know, but. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by a choir and folks dressed up like Eskimos. All right, we've got uh, poll results coming up later in the hour. We've got our top 10 1973 countdown coming up. Uh, There's so much more to go here. And uh, on the poll question... Uh, do you feel like Whataburger lost a little off their fastball when they sold to that uh, out-of-state holding company in 2019? Uh, apparently, a lot of people are convinced that that made a difference. Other people even say it started sooner than that. Um, and still others say, I don't know what you're talking about. There's always been good and bad locations. You just have to find the good ones that are near you or on your frequent routes or whatever it might be. I, I guess... Um, for most people, when it's a homegrown brand, I think this would be true anywhere, not just Texas, but especially Texas. When it's a homegrown brand, you just assume that out-of-staters won't get it, won't appreciate it, won't know how to do it, will 
imposed their stuff on it. Um, is that really true, or is that just what we think because we know that there was a change? How would you respond to that? 210-599-5555. Glenn is on the radio. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Yeah, my experience is when I, I used to play music down and go, go drive down to Corpus, and we get out of the gate, the only thing open was Whataburger, and it was terrible. Mm-hmm. It was always a, a long way to get the water wrong and everything. And, and lately, yeah, we go to Fredericksburg quite a bit, and uh, there's one Whataburger in Fredericksburg, and it is excellent. I mean, the food's great. Uh, they get long, long lines, and somehow they manage to get it through pretty yeah. quickly. And I don't recall being able to substitute a bag of apples for french fries before. That's a new thing, I think, and I like that a lot because I'm trying to eat right, not eat fried foods. And in San Antonio, I'd have to put the one at De Zavala and 10 pretty much equal to the one in Fredericksburg. Uh, hmm. so it's a good okay. one. And, and I think they I think I eat the chicken sandwiches when I go. The chicken seems a little thicker, like more meat on the sandwich now. I don't know if that's oh. more steroids in the chicken or something. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> they, they seem proper. It might just know? be more chicken. Don't make it a negative. I, I hope mean so. that the chicken's on steroids. <laughs> we can I, but, you know, that. you make a good point. I, I didn't think of this before. I have noticed some of the new ones are better than locations that have been there a long time. I don't know if that's just coincidence or maybe like a new manager trying to prove himself or what. Yeah, I think you're right. I have to agree with you on that. I, I kind of have that same feeling. I don't know what it is about the new ones. But, I mean, they're trying to step up or something. I don't know, yeah. but it's pretty good. Yeah. So. yeah. Good observations, Glenn. Thank you. Appreciate your call. Uh, Randall's on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. What do you think, Randall? Uh, good evening, Jack. I, I, I was uh, telling... Uh, the program manager that the one here in Uvalde, uh, they have a manager his name's David. He was here before and uh-huh. after the change, after the sale. And uh-huh. um, I believe the service is still great. The food is still good. Yeah. Um, the only thing that's changed is like some of the other callers, the, uh, they take our name now and still have the little plastic tent with the number on it, Jack. Which did you like better? Did you like the number or the name? I actually like the name because I don't have to keep up with it. <laughs> oh, okay. I just give All right. them my name, and they just they'll holler Randall, and I go running. My problem with what, my problem with names the name system is my name sounds like a lot of other names, and I get <laughs> to where it's Jack, Jeff, Jake, Zach, Mac, I, and then you don't know who they're calling. I, I liked the number because you know if it's forty four, I'm going to remember forty four. You know. Well, yeah, and the number and Jack, the young folks miss it because they, they like to. They are always uh, uh, got. They always took those. Uh, they collected those little. Kids, yeah, they call yeah. Them. People did take those. Yeah, that's true. That's and, true. And I All asked right. him one time. I said, I said, David, he's the manager. He's a top-notch guy. He runs a tight ship, and um, I'm 69, so everybody's a young man to me, and <laughs> and so I, I know the feeling. <laughs> Yeah, and so I, I, I said, well, how do you feel about that, David? He says part of it. He said, if it, he, I said, you know what? If they love doing it, they're going to come in and buy a hamburger. Those things probably no. cost uh, 15 cents, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, the... it's, I think it's still good, and I'm glad yeah. to have Whataburger here. Uh, my favorite yes. order is uh, scrambled eggs with their uh, biscuit gravy over the top. And uh, well, that'll keep go. me full until I get home from the ranch. You realize you, you, 
I can't I can't make that for you, Randall. I'm, you're not ordering it now. You know that, right? Okay. <laughs> yes, right. I want you to get confused uh, yeah. and think you're There's think a, I'm gonna I'm gonna come out to the car with that. Okay. I've been listening to you a long time, Jack. I'd be surprised if you couldn't do it. So. Well, I, I didn't say I couldn't do it. I'm just saying I'm not going to do it. I, I could. I think I could. I think I could. I think I could whip up a pretty uh, mean scrambled egg for you. But Randall, thanks for the call. I uh, appreciate it. Um, I kind of kind of hope Greg hey, was not listening. Or, is, are you the Are you the program manager? Now? Well, I obviously wow. been promoted. And Boy, a few minutes I, ago we were talking about how unappreciated and put upon you were. And now you've got a title. Now I have this new promotion now, and so uh, Greg, I guess uh, you I don't like have to that. come in tomorrow. Greg, yeah, Greg's Greg's all done. It's all over. <laughs> the, uh, after after uh, thirty five years, Don just made his move. Just kind of wondering if he even knew about it. <laughs> None of us knew. None of us knew, and you and I'll be the last two that we'll ever know. It is now time. <laughs> Music. Top 10 board. We'll start with number 10. The year is 1973. The Senate Watergate Committee is in the headlines. The Queen of England has officially opened the Sydney Opera House. And singer-songwriter Jim Croce is being mourned. He has just died in a plane crash in Louisiana after giving a concert. And these were the top 10 songs this week in 1973, starting with number 10. The great gospel group made up of the Staples family, but calling themselves the Staple Singers, no S. At number 10 this week with If You're Ready, Come Go With Me. Mavis Staples still going strong. Last surviving member of the Staples Singers at number 10. At number 9 this week in 1973, Steve Miller Band. Steve Miller touring next summer with Def Leppard, Cheap Trick, and Heart. It's an all-stadium tour. Here he is at number 9 with The Joker. Say I'm doing you wrong, doing you wrong. Steve Miller and friends will be at the Alamo Dome next August 16th. Number nine, The Joker. Song at number eight is Ringo Starr, who recently did an interview with the AARP magazine, saying of the Beatles, we all went mad at different times, and describing his former band members as brothers, saying Paul loves me as much as I love him. He's the brother I never had. Here's the hit he did have. Number eight, Photograph. Photograph. 
Ringo Starr and George Harrison wrote that one together, produced it on Sunset Boulevard with the famous producer Richard Perry. Photographed the number eight hit this week in 1973. Now, at number seven is the follow-up to her big hit, Delta Dawn. And this song will go to number one next month, but truth is, Helen Reddy really didn't like it. Opposed releasing it as a single, the record label insisted, and they were right. Here's Leave Me Alone, Ruby Red Dress. Biggest pop stars of the uh, kind of early and mid seventies. You almost never hear her on the radio anymore. Helen Reddy, "Leave Me Alone" at number seven. Uh, up to number six this week is a song written by Todd Rundgren with his old group Naz. Not very successful recorded with them. Much more so when it came out as one of his solo singles. Here's "Hello, It's Me." sang this with his band Naz in 1968 it was a slower song and not a very big hit um, then he re-recorded it twice and finally the mix more mid-tempo that was released in 1973 became Todd Rundgren's big hit this week it's at number six with Hello It's Me the song at number five is by Jim Croce, who was still being mourned by his many fans this week in 1973. He wrote this song, uh, he said, after his wife Ingrid told him that she was pregnant in December of 1970, and it made it onto his 72 album, You Don't Mess Around with Jim. And then after he was killed in a plane crash in September of 1973, this song built up a big demand. It's time in a bottle. If I could save time in a bottle first thing that I'd like to do is to save every day till eternity passes away just to spend them with you. If I could make days last forever, if words could make wishes come true, I'd save every day. Like a treasure and then again I would spend them with you. There's a legend about this song that they used a harpsichord in it because the producer found it in the studio when they went in to record. I don't know if that's true. But Time in a Bottle became the third ever posthumous Billboard number one hit after Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding and Me and Bobby McGee by Janis Joplin. The late great Jim Croce, Time in a Bottle at number five. Supergroup Chicago is at number four this week in 1973, holding steady with Just You and Me. Baby, you're everything. 
It's hard to pick a favorite, but this is definitely one of my favorite Chicago songs. Plural, Just You and Me from 1973. This was also the final song played by Chicago radio station WLS before they went to a all-talk format in 1989. So that's Chicago at number four. At number three this week in 73, a song that was never meant to be released as a single until a country-western cover of it hit big. And then the record company for the Carpenters had no choice. Here's Top of the World. I want the world to be Is now coming true Especially for me And the reason is clear It's because you are here You're the nearest thing to heaven That I've seen This song just finished two weeks at number one, and this week it drops down to number three in 1973. Now, at number two this week on our countdown is the title track to the biggest album of 1974, the album that gave us Candle in the Wind, Benny and the Jets, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, Funeral for a Friend, and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Now, Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album was a double album. It had a lot of great songs on it. And, in fact, it had one more that a lot of people remember, a song called Harmony. The story behind Harmony, the album's final track, is that they considered releasing it as a single, but by now, Elton was ready to release another album, 1974's album Caribou, and the record company was afraid that they needed to move on from the Yellow Brick Road album and start promoting Caribou. However, a radio station in Boston began playing Harmony. It moved up their local chart, became number one in Boston, and soon got airplay all over the country. Let's listen to a bonus track from the album. It's Elton John's Harmony. Hello, baby, hello. I, you think about that album, and Elton John had a great career just on that one album. For, for most artists, if that was all they'd ever done, be a Hall of Fame career. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, and Harmony from Elton John's 
Yellow Brick Road double album. And that gets us to the top spot, the number one song this week in 1973. Number one. The song at number one this week in 1973 was a career restarting song for this artist. It was an era when a lot of Old 50s guys like Jerry Lee Lewis and Conway Twitty were finding a new musical groove in the country format, sometimes called Countrypolitan. And nobody represented it better than Charlie Rich, who had on his I Take It Home hit and his album Behind Closed Doors, the title track of which became a number one song. And this one went to number one. This is The Most Beautiful Girl. Did you happen to see the most beautiful girl in the world? And if you did, was she crying, crying? Hey, if you happen to see the most beautiful girl that walked out on me, tell her. The Silver Fox from Colt, Arkansas, with the number one song this week in 1973. You can reach me by trailway. You can reach me on an airplane You can reach me with your mind You can reach me by caravan Cross the desert like an airman I don't care how you get here Just get here if you can mm. On the JR poll, River City Oral Surgery JR poll, did Whataburger lose something after the 2019 out of state sale? You believe it. 82% said yes tonight. 18% said no. New JR poll when we get rolling live at 4 tomorrow on 550 and 1071 KTSA. We'll leave you tonight with a little more of this week's number one song from 1973, The Silver Fox, Charlie Rich. This big hit, the most beautiful girl in the world. Did you happen to see her? Hey, did you happen to see the most beautiful girl in the world? And if you did, was she crying, crying? Hey, if you the most beautiful girl that walked out on me Tell her I'm sorry Tell her I need my baby Oh, won't you tell her that I love her I woke up this morning Realized what I had
cold gray dawn You had lost my morning sun I lost my head and I said some things Now comes the heartaches at the morning